Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Northminster. My name is Chuck Legvold. You may have seen my face from time to time uh, here, never, never in worship, other than the worship we did at the Presbytery meeting back on, as I was reminded by someone this morning, we had a, we had a Presbytery meeting here, and it was May the 4th, and it, had a, it has a Star Wars theme to it. I threatened to uh, wear a Darth Vader helmet because I was the ministry partnership team chair, and most people are scared of the ministry partnership team chair, but there was no need for it, and I did not wear a helmet. I've also been here to uh, spend time with your session as, as part of the ministry partnership team. The last time I was here was actually at the ordination of Nora Johnson. So it's been a little while since I've uh, been here in this sanctuary, but uh, I've been asked to come by your session, to come and to preach today and next week. And I simply want to tell you as we get ready to approach God's Word and as we, we open it and listen together, that in the midst of our, our difficulties, the midst of our wonderings, the midst of our confusion and all the things that are going on right now, particularly with my friends Bob and Joss, I want to make sure that we focus our attention on the God who makes seemingly big things little and makes them able to be overcome. And that's where we're going to be aiming. By the way, um, if I fall asleep up here, <laughs> it's because I've been up since 3.30 body time uh, with, the, uh, with the time change. Uh, I've also, in case I have to stop once in a while and get a drink or clear my throat, please, please, please excuse me. I'm fighting a, a sinus infection. Uh, but I'm glad that I was able to get up and, and come. My wife Bonnie is here with me today, so I hope that you'll take the time to greet us. Um, what we're going to be looking at is the 145th Psalm, which is a wonderful psalm because this Psalm of David, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, speaks to us clearly about the power and the ability and the desire of God to do things in relationship with us. We're going to learn some lessons on it. The main lesson I want to share with you today will become readily uh, obvious once we get started. So if you'll take your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 145. Again, this is a psalm of praise that, that uh, David wrote, obviously, at a time when he was filled uh, not with some of the doubts or some of the anger or some of the wondering that he often had and we see reflected in some of his psalms. But Instead, David is filled with awe and wonder and praise because he has a full and clear view of God. So read along with me if you would. I'm using the New International Version. You can easily follow along in whatever version you happen to have. Let's give our undivided attention to the reading of God's Word. I will exalt you, my God, the, the King, I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. 
They tell, of the, they tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. And to that, the voice of the church adds our amen. We pray with me for just a moment. Heavenly Father, as I uh, open not just my heart to the work of your your spirit, but as you open the hearts and minds of this church family. I pray that you will receive glory and honor and praise. I pray that people will be encouraged in such a way that they are reminded that when they go through problems, great or small, or when they are part of a corporate body, like a church family that is dealing with particular issues, that you are there in the midst and you are always ready to do a great thing. So help us, we pray, to not just understand that, but to ask for it. For you are a God who is always ready to give. May we always be ready to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what do you think about the 145th Psalm? I mean, it's, it's, David has written some other psalms that are very much like it, uh, but to me it is so expansive in its praise and, and worship of God. It is a constant reminder of God's ability to take what is going on in our lives and on in our world and make a difference, make a change, transform it into something good. And that is a message we all need to hear now. We live in a world full of disaster and difficulty where the name of Jesus is persecuted in many places and where it is laughed at in others. We live in a country that is torn apart by partisan politics. We live in, a, in communities that are wrestling with what's going on in the economy. People are losing their jobs. And they are frustrated about where they're going to go next. 
And we are all part of a church family. I want to tell you, after serving as a pastor for more than 37 years and working with different churches outside of those ones that I led, that there is no such thing as a perfect church family. There will be problems. There will be difficulties because people rub up against each other just like husbands and wives rub up against each other in sometimes troublesome ways. Right, dear? Yeah, you just, if you didn't hear that, she said, she's delightful. <laughs> I guess I'm to blame for, for whatever negative happens, and that's okay. But this psalm is, is going to speak to us. And I hope that you will focus in on one thing with me. And I think it's the most astounding and encouraging thing in this passage. But first, I want you to, to join me. I want you to open your ears and your minds, and I want you to listen to what I've been able to glean from this passage in terms of the attributes or the descriptors of God. There are 31 of them that I counted, and I'm going to read them off, but I want you to hear them all. God is great, worthy, mighty, glorious, majestic, powerful, awesome, good, righteous, Gracious, compassionate, patient, loving, splendid, royal, everlasting, dominant, enduring, trustworthy, faithful, giving, satisfying, fulfilling, saving, just, holy, watching, protective, and nearby. Anybody count them with me? I was going to give you a dollar if you did. But you'd had to tell the truth because I only mentioned 30 of the 31. The one is the one I'm saving that we're going to focus on today. Because that one that is left that we find as part of verse 19, which is the key verse of this passage for our purposes this morning, is the word listening or hearing. I think it's amazing that the king of the universe, it's, it, it's not a surprise that he's holy and just and powerful, is it? but that he hears us, he hears our cries. You'd think with all that God has to listen to, he'd get really tired of hearing human voices. I know I would, but then I am far from being God. God does not go and seek solace and solitude apart from his people. He listens to them. And even better, he listens for them. He wants to hear our voices. And so today, I want to help you to understand what it means to listen. What does it tell us about God that he listens to us, first of all? And then, how can we respond in kind to God, his spirit, his word, as it is given to us? And why that is so important in the day-to-day -day life of every disciple and every seeker. Let's discover these things together about God. As I said, God is a listener. He's not just a hearer, and there's a difference between hearing and listening. If you're bowing your head to go to sleep because of daylight saving time, you may not be listening to me right now, but you may be hearing my voice. As far as I know, it's well amplified, Everybody hear me? Okay. But there's a difference between you hearing those signals 
and having them related to the brain and actually listening to what they are saying. Transforming them into thoughts and ideas and commitments. We all do this in our lives. We go to the, one of my best examples is that occasionally when I go shopping or go, you know, go to the grocery store or whatever, or I go and fill up my car with gas, there are conversations going on all around me. You notice that when you go to the store, or when you fill up with gas, people are just, they're having these conversations. Sometimes they're on the phone and that still really confuses me because I'm looking for who they're talking to. And sometimes they're talking to some guy named Chuck. And it's like, who are you? But I don't listen, but I don't listen to them, do I? I hear them. I pay no attention to their conversation because I don't know them. But if I know them, if it's my wife talking to me, if it's my children talking to me, it's my friends talking to me, I listen, I focus. And that's what God does with us. How does he do it? What is implied in the fact that God listens to us? Well, first of all, it means that he's in a relationship with us. We don't pay attention to people that aren't in a relationship with us. Oh, we'll, we'll listen to them. We will be polite. We will give them the time of day. But if a total stranger comes up and wants to sit down with you and say, I need to talk with you about something, and you just happen to be a, a nice-looking guy or, or, or you happen to be a, a compassionate-appearing gal, we don't really want to do that, do we? But when that special friend calls... Or when that spouse needs a listening ear. Or when that child is tired of getting kicked around. And they come to us, we sit down and we listen to what they're saying. And it's because we have a relationship with them. We have a responsibility for them, right? We have this thing that we love. And God has built us for relationship. I've heard, I know you've heard this many, many times. We are created to be in relationship with God and with each other. That's the way God made us. And the way that he made us is like him, right? So God listens because he is in a relationship with us, not because he's just our creator, not because he's God, but because he wants to listen because we're in a relationship with him. That's one thing we learn about God from his willingness and desire to listen. The second is this, is that God is interested. God's interested. God really wants to hear what's going on. Does God know what's going on in our hearts and lives? Sure he does. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want us to talk with him, to share what's on our hearts with him. He wants to hear from our own hearts and with our own voices cry out to him and say, I need you. I need you to help me understand this. I need you to help me get through this. I need, and I need this, and I need that, and I need you, God. I want to be a better disciple. I want to have a relationship with my creator and my redeemer and my sustainer. I want all of those things. God is interested in us. I grew up in a family where, you know, with a Christian family, but kind of an old-fashioned Christian family where God was, was around, but he was still kind of distant, especially, if I can use the term, emotionally. 
You had to work hard to try to get God's attention. But most of the time, God was not interested because God was up there and out there, and God was something up there who's watching you with an eye with an opportunity to lambast you every chance he gets. The lightning bolts of the justice of God. God as a punisher. But that is not what we see here. Not for his faithful children. David tells us, yeah, the the wicked, the evil are going to get theirs one day. But God's people... He's interested in them. He wants to hear from us. He's interested in our lives. So he's in a relationship with us, and that relationship is one where, where God takes the initiative and he, he's interested in who we are. Here's a third thing. It implies that God has the ability to do something. Now, when we converse with people, we don't necessarily have the ability to do something even if we would like to. Bonnie is a school teacher. She teaches elementary health and PE, and it is a challenging job. It always has been, especially after COVID, okay? She can testify to that. Well, sometimes in the course of her career, she's come home to me and she's saying, I got to tell you what happened at school today. And she begins to pour her heart out over dinner or, or sitting in our, in our uh, den or whatever it happens to be. And you know what I'm doing? Am I really listening? Not usually. Because what I'm doing is not acting out of a lack of care. I'm trying to figure out how to fix it. I'm a fixer. But most of the stuff that she has brought to my attention, the stories she has told, the struggles she has had, there's nothing I can do about it. Because usually my solutions are something like, well, you need to go and confront your principal about that. I don't think she wants to do that. Or you need to talk to your union steward about that. I don't want to do that. Or you just need to tell people to, You know, you need to call that parent of that unruly child and just let them have it. Nope, can't do that. And I'm finally, as she's getting ready to retire as a teacher, I'm finally starting to get that sometimes she just wants to talk it out. She wants to get it out. And she doesn't want me to fix it because I can't. But God can. When God listens to us, in his relationship with us, when he is interested in us, when we bring things to him, he can fix them. Maybe not in the timing we want, maybe not in the way we we have imagined, but God can fix them. And it doesn't matter how big or how small it is, folks. God can fix it. I had a conversation with with one of your, your leaders as Bonnie and I came into the church earlier this morning and one of the things that I try to always remind folks, and, I, and I, I shared this as well, is that God has dealt with the huge things in our lives and dealt with them so powerfully in his son Jesus that we no longer need to fear illness and nature and death and evil. So everything else is, relatively speaking, small potatoes. If Jesus can conquer our 
illness, our sinfulness. If Jesus can conquer death and rise from the, new gra- from, from the grave with new life and then give it to us as a gift when we trust in him, he can handle what you and I are dealing with. Whether it is equipment breaking down or whether it's Bonnie's thing at the school or whether it is the issues that Bob and Joss are wrestling with. That's small potatoes to God. But we, and we need to trust him to do something about it. There is no illness, mental, physical, relational, that God cannot heal, that God cannot transform, that God cannot make new to his glory. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that. And one more thing I want us to look at when we think about God listening is this, that it, it involves his desire. God wants to. He wants to. From the time that human beings first turned their back on God in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, you know, disobeyed the one rule that God had, one, one. God comes to them in the garden And what is the first thing he does? He wants to know where they are because he loves them. He confronts them about their sin. But he begins to right then provide for them. Skins to cover their bodies because they were ashamed that they were naked. God wasn't ashamed of that. They were. And even then he tells them, the day is coming that even though this serpent has, seems to have free reign right now, the day is coming when someone is going to come into this world on a mission. And though he will be wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities, he will crush Satan under his feet and redeem you and all those who follow after you. Let's not forget that either. When God is listening to us, he is saying, I desire to help. I desire to change you. I desire to transform you and your church and your community and your nation and your world. If you will but do one thing in response to my listening, what do you suppose it is that God wants us to do? He wants us to Listen to him. How many times in the Gospels do we see God? It's more than once God saying, listen, this is my son. I want you to pay attention to him. Listen to what he has to say. How many times in the Old Testament do we find God speaking through a prophet or a priest or a king saying, hearken to me, listen to me. God wants us to listen to him. But most of of us get too distracted or we are too often too distracted to hear him. I want you to take these to heart. Write them down. If you can't memorize them, write them down and ask yourself these, these questions, particularly when things are not the way you would like them to be or not the way that is the best for his glory. If we are listening for the response of God, one of the things we have to ask ourselves are, is, are we praising him? 
the life of the believer is to be characterized by praise, by giving God glory, by doing so in a way that we encourage one another and we, and we witness to what's going, those who are out in our communities who do not know him. Are we praising him? David starts this psalm and ends this psalm and spends pretty much every verse in between those two verses acknowledging that God is worthy of praise in offering him praise and thanksgiving. We should do the same. If we're going to listen to God, we need to be doing it praising him rather than praising ourselves or worrying about our troubles. Here's the second question. Are we praying for his revelation? Are we praying that God is going to reveal what he wants us to do? Are we praying for his wisdom? And as we are praying for that, are we being diligent in asking God to speak to us rather than we telling him how we want him to fix it? How many do that? I do that. God, I'm having a hard time, and here's how I think you can fix this. If you just get rid of that person, or if they'll just fix this problem in my body, you just heal this issue. How many of us approach God like that? You know, God, want to glorify you, want to be a person who is free to, to tell your story, so let me tell you my story and how I think you can change it. We need to have our eyes and ears open, asking for God. We spend so little time in our, in our conversation with God letting him speak. And way too much of us letting our own voices dominate. Are we praying for his revelation? Thirdly, are we humble? We know that God opposes those who are humble, opposes those who are proud, but he embraces himself, embraces us when we are humble. That while he is good to all, and he has compassion on all he has made, it is to his own people that he offers himself in depth. Who of you wants to know God in depth? I hope all of you. That is to be our aim as disciples, to deepen our relationship with God. Bonnie and I have been married for 40 years. I never thought it possible. She probably thought it impossible. But the only way we have been able to do that is that we have learned to love each other. Yeah, we said we loved each other when we did premarital counseling. And yes, when we said our I do's at the altar 40, almost 41 years ago now. We said all that. We believed it. But we didn't know how to practice it. We had to learn. We had to grow into it. And the same is true about our relationship with God. Are we humble enough before God to say, I don't have the answers? Are we humble enough to go to him before we try all of our stuff first. How many of us do that? I'll call upon God if I can't get this taken care of. When his invitation is, come to me now.
Come to me now, and I'll give it to you. Are we humble? And fourthly, are we thankful? Are we thankful even when God doesn't give us what we want when we want it in the way we want it? Okay? Are we thankful? When we offer ourselves to God and we humbly go before him in prayer and we earnestly seek his face and we listen to what he has to to say to us, are we willing to take that at face value and forget our own ideas and our own way of fixing things or fixing people? We let God fix people. I have a friend named Roland Van Loo. He is a former lawnmower repairman in Kokomo, Indiana. And I had a particularly troublesome relationship with, uh, with someone that I, I served with on, a, on the staff at First Press in Kokomo, Indiana. And I didn't want to let this guy off the hook. He'd made my life a, seemingly a living hell. Made it very hard for me to carry out my job. And I remember talking with Roland Van Loo about this, and he just stopped me mid-sentence, and he said, did God just give up his throne to you? You really think by going and confronting him that he's going to change? He said, boy, I need to take a two-by-four and smack you upside the head. That's a literal quotation. Thankfully, he didn't, but I got the message. I haven't learned it fully, and I don't practice it every time yet, but I get it. Be thankful that you're not God. Be thankful for what God gives you, and let him do the changing. Let him do the transforming. Trust him, and go on living your life, your relationship with God, pursuing him with all of your heart and praising him. In the Gospels, there is a succession of stories that are very powerful. And you may or may not have grasped the significance of them, but there are four particular stories where they're found back to back to back to back in which Jesus does miracles. Now, that's nothing new but he does these four miracles for a purpose, to communicate to his disciples and to us about who he is. In the first, he is out on a boat with his disciples in the midst of of the, the Sea of Galilee, and a great storm comes down, and he's sleeping. And they wake him up and say, don't you care? Aren't you gonna do something about this? And Jesus calmly gets up and goes to the front of the boat and essentially says to nature, sit down and shut up. And it does. The waves are calmed and the wind ceases to blow and the sky is clear. And immediately thereafter, they find themselves across the Sea of Galilee and they find themselves coming up into a place where there's tombs, a cemetery, and there is a man who is chained there who has hundreds of demons. He is literally possessed by evil. There is nothing seemingly valuable anymore about his life. No one loves him. No one cares for him. He is completely lost and irredeemable. 
But Jesus casts all the demons out of him and he returns to his right mind and he has returned then to his right community and family. Jesus deals with the demonic and conquers it, just like he conquered nature. And then they go back across the lake right after that and they show up and they are met with a delegation that wants Jesus to come to an important person's house. But on the way, there, there is a woman in this mash of people, in this crowd of shoulder to shoulder, that reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, hoping that she'll get at least a little bit of, of the healing power that is in Jesus, even if she's being somewhat <laughs> superstitious. And Jesus feels the power go out of him because she exercised faith. And he tells her she's well and she is well. Jesus conquers a chronic illness that no doctor had been able to address. And finally, he goes to this leader's house where his young daughter has died. And he says, get out of here, you mourners. She's just asleep. Of course, she was dead. But then he goes and he says, little girl, I tell you, stand up. He essentially says, it's time to get out of bed. And she gets up and walks out and he says, give her something to eat. Surely she's hungry. In those four stories, Jesus conquers the four greatest fears, the four greatest obstacles, the four greatest opponents that we as human beings have. Nature, evil, illness, death. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. So I want to leave you with this. Do we dare to trust that the God who has defeated our greatest enemies is also quite ready to answer our smaller prayers? Are you listening to this, folks? I hope so. Because God is listening for you. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you that we don't serve a God, we don't know a God that is up and above and beyond and out of touch and out of reach. We serve one who sent his son, a perfect representation, a perfect mirror of the Heavenly Father into this world. We thank you that we have someone like Jesus who told his disciples back then, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. And we are grateful that you are a God who listens to us, who loves us, who desires to be with us. And we know that you desire to be with every one of your people to answer our questions, to supply us with wisdom, to heal our hurts, and to restore broken relationships. If we will but listen and respond in faith. I pray that each person here, each person listening, and each person who is being prayed for by those who are here will know this beyond the shadow of a doubt and will pause their busy lives and busy voices this very day to listen.
to listen, to listen to your voice. For there, there is salvation and there is hope. In Jesus' name we pray.